Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. The story of Esther is as dramatic as any major motion picture you'll find. It's packed with plot twists and turns and characters that keep the action moving from the very beginning to its thrilling conclusion. And it's all about the timing. Joining us to talk about the drama and relevance of Esther for us today is Donna Snow. Donna is an active speaker and author of several Bible studies, including Chosen, a study of Esther. Hi, Donna. Hey, Elizabeth, it's good to see you again. Good to see you too. You know, not too long ago, we had you on to talk about forgiveness because that was tying into our Lutheran life issue for this quarter. And now we get to talk about drama and intrigue and really um, dramatic characters and stories. So I'm glad that you're with us today. Oh, thanks. Yes, drama. Women can relate to drama because if we're not creating it, we're surrounded by it. So I think it's perfect. (laughs) This is very true. I remember when I was a kid and we would take our car trips to go visit my grandparents. We'd drive from St. Louis up to the Chicago suburbs. And, you know, this would be the third, fourth, fifth grade And I always had a handful of books that I was either constantly reading or rereading. And two of them that were with me, one was Grimm's Fairy Tales, because I just thought that was really cool. But I also had my Bible with me on these trips. And I remember reading the book of Esther over and over and over on these drives. And for whatever reason, that story just drew me in as a young girl. And I've never forgotten those car rides reading through that story. So I have to ask you, now that you've completed this Bible study on Esther, why Esther? Well, like you said, it's just such an epic story. I mean, there's drama, there's intrigue, there's an orphan who ends up being a queen, that, you know, despite circumstances. It's, it's the good, you know, over evil. And it's just such an epic story. And it's, it's only one of two books in the Bible that are named after women. And so why wouldn't we study that? I think some people struggle with, okay, is it a fairy tale? Is it history? Because it's not referenced really anywhere else in scripture. But when we look at the Jewish festival of Purim, it's still going on today. And because it was in the book of Esther, and it's interesting because it's the only mosaic festival still celebrated, that, or the festival that wasn't instituted by Moses. And that says a lot about the book of Esther. And It's just, I mean, there's vivid colors and vivid characters, and it just, it really is like a play and a drama. It just draws us in. It absolutely does. And, you know, you think about the bravery and the intrigue and the challenges that Esther was up against. You know, if if you were to sit down and talk with Esther today, what would you want to ask her? Oh, my goodness. Where do I begin? That would be an epic conversation. I think, I think I'd want to ask her, is she still a voice for her people? I mean, once she accomplished all that, is she still a voice for her people? Is she still an advocate for maybe orphans, you know, realizing where she came from? Is, is, is she an advocate? How does she evangelize in a pagan world? Is it simply how she acts and how she treats people? Or does she slip in, you know, some of the, some scripture along the side, you know, how, how is she, how is she doing now? I think that would be my question. It would be a really interesting conversation to kind of go back and 
you know, I, I'd be curious, like, how were you feeling when all of this was happening, when, when you kind of retreated to your room after some of these events that took place? What on right. earth? Right, and like think? Mordecai, her uncle that just kind of threw her in, you know, I don't know that he had much choice, but I wonder if she held any kind of resentment that she was put in that circumstance in the beginning, you know? Um, I don't know, there'd be so much to ask her. That would be a multi-part conversation, I think. I think it would. I think it would be a very interesting conversation as well. So as we think about it, you know, we've talked about it. It reads like a major motion picture drama. So for us today, we have to remember that this was real. This wasn't a fictionalized telling. This really happened. What does it have to teach us today? It is so perfect for our times. It's ridiculous. Because we live in a time of drama right now. I mean, you've got a pandemic, you've got politics, you've got a racial wound, you've got all these things that are just drama. And, you know, what we see in Esther is that she didn't get pulled in. She, um, she talked with people she needed to, to get accurate information. She um, followed the proper channels to where she could do the most help. She wasn't a drama llama. And I think all of us are just kind of anti on the drama llama because there's so much of it. Um, she wasn't a podium grandstander. You know, she didn't get on social media and say, this is my opinion. You know, she just did what she needed to do and it ended up saving an entire nation from genocide. And I think there's a lot to say that, you know, you, you keep your head down, you trust God. Yeah, there's drama around you, but that doesn't mean you have to be part of it. No, you can be calm in the storm. And that speaks so powerfully when a, a person can keep calm and not be pulled into the drama and the vitriol that happens online and really give strength to their voice. Absolutely. So one of the things that often people will point out, and you mentioned this in your study, is that throughout the book of Esther, God is never directly mentioned. Why do you think that is? Well, the Jewish people, when you look at the history of it, the Jewish people were, were afraid of actually misusing God's name. And they thought if they did that, he would throw them back into exile. And so you never see them mentioning actually God's name, Yahweh, in there. They change it to the Lord or something along those lines because they were afraid if they misused it, they would earn exile again. And, you know, even though God's name isn't mentioned, you know, the providence of God is everywhere in this. And it's actually a great literary tool when you think from a writer's perspective, because not ever mentioning God causes us to look for him on every page. And it's actually very clever, but he is everywhere. When you look at where Esther started and how things started to where they ended, that is only God. A, a, an individual can't save an entire people from annihilation. You know, that has to be God. And while not directly mentioned, remains the most important character on every page. Absolutely. Can you, can you give us a quick who's who of the cast? Who's who? Hey, it's a cast. Well, you have King Ahasuerus, which is Xerxes, and he is a strong leader on the battlefield, but a weak king. You know, he, he doesn't have time for the little things, and he, you know, kind of delegates things to Haman, this evil prime minister, so that he didn't have to deal with it. He just wants to focus on his wars and gaining more power and wealth. So you have a king with no backbone, and then you have Esther with all the backbone <laughs> that we need, which is awesome. 
And her cousin Mordecai, who took her in when she was orphaned at a young age and raised her. And Mordecai says several times that he's a Jew. And then, of course, you have Haman, the Agagite. He is the he's the villain in the drama. You know, he comes on stage swooping, you know, to make changes that are horrid to benefit himself. And so those are the, the main characters. You have the four, really. Why is Haman so filled with hatred, do you think? Well, it's generational. You know, it says Haman is an Agagite, and it says that several times, too. And so when you trace Mordecai's line, he and Saul, King Saul, share the same lineage as a Benjamite. And Haman was an Agagite, which means uh, King Agag was over the Amalekites. And so you're looking at Benjamite versus Amalekite. And why that's so prevalent or important is that when the Israelites were coming out of exile to out of Egypt, the Amalekites attacked God's people from behind, like when they were exhausted, when they were tired. It was a cowardly attack. And so God um, mandated that I'm going to destroy you from the face of the earth. And later on, you know, King Saul killed Agag and all those things. And so basically you're looking at a generational hatred, a generational animosity that comes into play that if you don't really understand the history of that, you kind of wonder why Mordecai won't bow. And Haman is so mad because it's not necessarily the present circumstance, but all the history behind it. That history speaks volumes. And we see that today with generational strugglers, struggles in our own culture and our own families. Well, it's true because if one thing is true, hatred is taught. You know, kids don't come out of the womb hating one another. Hatred is hatred is a taught thing. You know, it's yeah, it's it's terrible. It really is. And Mordecai, as he was raising Esther, taught her to keep her eyes on the prize, so to speak. So mm-hmm. how how can Esther inspire us today to be very intentional about where we're keeping our focus. Oh my gosh, that says volumes. Because if we are focused horizontally on the crazy, we're going to miss Christ in the story. You know, um, we've got to keep our focus vertical. And it's interesting when you read the book of Esther, excuse me, what we determine about the book determines um, our focus. You know, if we approach it like it's a fairy tale or if it's history, how we read it determines what we can learn. And how we look at Esther and where her focus was is something we can emulate. She kept her eyes up because she was in a culture that she was not familiar with at all. A, a pagan palace that was just probably excess everywhere you turned. And she, I mean, kept her sanity by looking up. And it's, we hear it time and time again, and we're, we're so quick to forget that we do need to keep our focus up. So if mm-hmm. we can keep our focus up, we're stronger to deal with everything that we find um, in the horizontal realm today. And it's hard because when it's there's so much drama, you know, it's like Paul taking his eyes off Jesus and looking at the wind. It's it's kind of that same thing. We're, our eyes are drawn to drama and we just have to keep God give me the strength to keep my eyes on you because it's all him. And that's the only place that we can get that true strength and wisdom um, and comfort yes. there. Where do we see throughout the flow of the story, where do we see God's justice really come into play? 
Oh, that's another one of where do I begin? It's all over the place. You see it in all the in the chiastic structure of the book, which is basically a, a reversal of fortune. You see Haman building a gallows to hang Mordecai and ends up being hung on it himself. You see Esther trying, you know, Esther as part of a oppressed people slated for genocide, and she ends up being the one God uses to save a nation. And so God's justice is there and it's real. It may not be in our timing. It just is such a reminder that um, leave the justice to God because he knows how best to do it and in the right time to do it. And if we try to take justice in our own hand, it's not really going to turn out well. Tell us more about the timing since you started mentioning the timing and we start mentioned at the beginning. It is all about timing. It's not our timing, though. No, it's not our timing because we see that especially in one particular place where um, Esther is inviting King Ahasuerus to dinner, you know, to, to have a meal. And the night before everything blows up and Esther reveals who she is and that Haman's the evil person who's, you know, constructed genocide, God orchestrates the king to have a dream or, or the king not to have a, a sleepful night. He has a restless night. So he asks for the books of the Chronicles to be brought in and read. And he remembers that Mordecai, or is reminded, that Mordecai saved his life at one time, and he never exalted Mordecai for that. And so in that one sleepless night, God, uh, I mean, um, Ahasuerus sees the value in Mordecai. And it's just, you just have, I kind of have to say you have to read the book, but God's timing is is perfect. But had Esther, because it was before the second banquet, had Esther jumped the gun and had the king in private and told him everything, Things wouldn't have unfolded where that night Haman had built the gallows. That night, the king couldn't sleep and found out about Mordecai and all these things. So we have to wait on God's timing for it to turn out like he has planned. What, happened if, what happens when we make wrong decisions? Can those wrong decisions still be used for good? Oh, well, sure. I think that <laughs> I think that describes all of our lives. So, you know, <laughs> how many of us has, haven't made more wrong decisions than we can count? Um, but for when I look at, you know, when I look at my life, I, I look at those are testing times and those are times where I probably learned the most. Um, when you make a wrong decision, you realize, yeah, it really would have been better to wait on God and his timing and listen for him. And but God can still use that. And in those wrong decisions, when we learn those lessons, those are lessons he'll let us use later in life. And there are times where Satan wants to capitalize on our wrong decisions. Are oh, there yeah. ways that we see throughout this book of, of Satan really seeking to devour? Oh, yeah. I mean, from the beginning, I mean, Satan wants to get rid of the coming Messiah. And so what better way to do it than annihilate the line that he's going to be born from? And so you see Satan's, I mean, just constant, constant trying to get rid of the line of Judah you know, trying to prevent, trying to stop, throwing roadblocks, making people doubt. I mean, Satan is just, you know, he's good at that. And it really makes us mad. <laughs> makes me mad anyway. It's like, would you just knock it off? It's like, go away. We don't need you. You're getting in our That's way. That's right. Go away. <laughs> go and his away. biggest, two of his biggest tools are doubt and distraction. And um, I think we live in a time where that's prevalent right now. And we just have to know that, that God is still in control. And we keep our eyes on him and he's going to bring us through it. We need to keep looking up. How does Esther's story show us that no matter what adversity we're facing, 
he's going to work through us to advance his kingdom. Oh, gosh. I mean, everywhere you look, God values us because we are his creation. And he's given each one of us a purpose. And with that purpose, he works through us with the gifts and the talents he's given us, with the circles of influence he's given us. The job I have is going to be different than yours or different than somebody else's. But he uses all those together. And so God values each one of us. We're all here for a reason and a purpose, just like Esther. Even though society would have cast her away as a as a useless orphan or, you know, that's a terrible term, but I think that's sometimes how society sees it. They're just extras. And God says, no, 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 there's huge value in this. I can use someone who uh, was in a bad position to be in a great position because I've put her there. And so we can't ever doubt that God's going to use us no matter what we've seen, done, or heard. What message would you have for the readers who will be picking up Chosen as they dive into the study and they dive into Esther either for the first time or for a repeat time? Well, I mean, if you're looking from a women's point of view, I think, um, you know, Esther, it said, was a very beautiful woman. And I love that God... I mean, of all the women that were prated before him, you know, that God chose a knockout to win over Ahasuerus. I mean, he can use beauty, but that's not all he uses. And I think women can come to the story of Esther. Anyone can come to the story of Esther and see that no matter our circumstances, no matter where we came from, you know, God can still use us. And physical beauty can be used to glorify God, but it's not a prerequisite to live a God-filled, joy-filled life. We can be who we are, how he's made us, and make a huge difference according to his will. So I'd be inspired by Esther. This is such an epic story. It's like enter in, see the vivid colors of the Persian court and the drama that she was drawn into and realized she could have lost her life at any point, but she had the courage given to her by God to stand up. And that made all the difference. And with that courage, we, we can't do that on our own. We, we can only do that with with God's help. Oh, that's true. Because, you know, it, one thing about courage, I found this out not too long ago. Someone challenged me and said, why does courage, what is the one thing that has to be present for courage to be present? And they said it was fear. Because without fear, you don't have a reason to be courageous. And so when you're courageous, fear has to be present. And so for Esther to be courageous, she was afraid, just like we would have been in that situation. But despite the fear, you know, that courage came in, in spite of it, from God, and she was used by him greatly. And so, yeah, we fear, but courage comes in when we trust God past the fear and step out to glorify him. And there are plenty of things in our world today that can cause us to fear. Uh, everyone's circumstances are different. Different things terrify each of us. But again, God's got us all, and he can help use our fear and give us the courage we need to move through that um, to his, his glory. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things I love the most about this story is kind of like Daniel and kind of like Joseph, God, it's like we see God slip in under the radar of a pagan world to have his way anyway. And, and that's us, you know, he's here, he's slipped in under the radar and he's not going to stay there long. Amen to that. Listeners, we will put a link to Chosen, a study of Esther, in the notes so that you can head to that page, download a sample, and pre-order your copy, and really dig in. Because I do think 
it's going to be a fascinating study for all the reasons that Donna's mentioned, for the drama, the intrigue, the demonstrations of courage and faith, um, all working to God's fantastic end. So Donna, we're so glad you were here with us today. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. Y'all are awesome. It's going to be a great study to see. I'm excited to see it come out. It'll release. We're, we're talking here in early February. It'll be just about a month before the book is out. So it's going to be fun and a really wonderful resource for our listeners. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! All right. Thanks, listeners. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.